All right. So for tonight, um, it's a very interesting word that I have for tonight, and it's going to answer a lot of holes that I feel like that weren't addressed in the last two times that I was able to preach here. One time it was um, through Friday Fire, and one time was through JPM. So I'm going to be filling some of those holes and hopefully bringing more vision and hope. Hope. Hope is a word. Um, into our spiritual walk. So I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, it's like one of those words that if you're not spiritually awake, it's going to be very hard to catch. It's going to be less linear, less logical, less like, just give me five steps and I know that I'll feel better uh, kind of sermon. Less of that and more it needs to really be the Holy Spirit moving today. I'm going to be speaking to your spirit man in a lot of ways that might bypass your brain. And it might take a few days for your brain to catch up at times. Um, and so for something like that, we really need, we really need to be spiritually awake. Um, as I was praying, you guys will see here, these are my notes. It's like one page, one page. So that means if the Lord doesn't speak today, it's going to be a five minute message, which, which actually you guys might, might prefer. Um, but I was, as I was preparing and I was thinking, Lord, how, how do I get across what I feel like you want to get across? And I felt the Lord very clearly saying, give me space. I'll, I'll speak, give me space. Um, so we're going to be doing something a little bit more unconventional tonight. I hope you guys are open for that. Um, Yes. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you tonight that the reason why we're here isn't just to hear human words. It's not just to uh, listen to and sing along with human words and human songs. We pray, God, that tonight you'd be doing something very particular in our hearts. Lord God, that you would awaken our spirit man to a place, Lord God, that we've never experienced before. I pray, God, against deaf ears. I pray, God, that you'd be opening up our spiritual ears to hear the word of the Lord tonight. I thank you, God, that you've awakened us already, Lord God, and we're here because we want you. Lord God, we don't want just a message, but we want to hear from you. We want to see you. We want to see you in the fullness of your glory. We don't want to miss out on what you have for us tonight. We thank you, God, that you are a good father, and you're feeding us your daily bread, your living bread today. And I pray, God, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, that we would be, have hearts that are open to receive your word tonight. We thank you so much, God. We are here in, in anticipation, waiting eagerly, expecting you as we ask you for your word. You're not a God who will give us a scorpion or a stone when we ask for living bread, when we ask for food. You're a good father who wants to feed us living words, Lord God, words that will resonate in our spirit, words that will bring fresh life, Lord God, into our prayer walks. Words, Lord God, that will really revolutionize the way that we see you. That's what we want, Lord God, for tonight. We thank you so much, God, for the work that you're about to do. We're open and we're ready. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So for tonight, if you guys are taking any notes, um, the title for tonight is Vision and Zeal. Vision and Zeal. So we're just going to explore the relationship between those two words, vision and zeal. And I want to 
I know it's kind of weird for me to give dating advice as somebody who's very single, um, but I'll do it anyway. Um, if you're someone who's looking for somebody that you feel like you can walk with for the rest of your life as one flesh, the number one non-negotiable should be, you should be looking somebody who has a vibrant, a vibrant, dynamic, ever-increasing relationship and intimacy with the Lord. That, is, that should be a non-negotiable. I'm not just saying, like, they're saved. And that happened, like, sometime back then. And they're kind of iffy about coming to church or not. And, you know, a non-negotiable should be they need to be vibrant in their walk with the Lord. They need to be in love with the Lord. And if they're not, they should be fighting. They should be fighting like their life depends on it. This is the kind of person that you would want. And this is why, and this is my logic. This is why I think I'm also very passionate about K1. My logic is that if you have somebody who's a believer and who gets tired of seeking the Lord after, let's say, like two weeks, after three weeks, after a year, and they are seeking a God that is unsearchable, unending, and everything that you do end up searching and finding is perfect, right? If they get tired of this after two weeks or after two years, what on earth would make you think that they will not give up on you if you are a finite, imperfect person to be searched for the rest of your life? You know what I mean? Isn't this something that you actually want? Like, I don't want a husband who's like, after two years, he's like, okay, the, the fire is gone. And I'm stuck with you for the rest of my life. And when I look into his eyes, he doesn't see anything new in me. He doesn't see, like, somebody to explore and ask questions and be, like, obviously, like, curious about and wonder things about. Like, I want somebody who's willing to dig and get to know me. And in the same way, that's the kind of person that I want to be, you know? This is how you keep a marriage vibrant. Not that I know much about marriage, but this is what I'm... <laughs> Theoretically, in theory, in theory, this is, this is a very vibrant marriage. Two people that realize that they do not know everything about each other and they're committed for life to search each other out through good times and bad. And whether they find something good or whether they find something that they want to cover in prayer and in love, their commitment to you needs to be, I am not going to give up on you. I'm not going to let my love grow cold for you. I know that there's more for me to know about you. So I'm not going to assume that I've searched you out and I'm done with that. And that phase is over. Now let's move on to the rest of our marriage. Like that's not the kind of person that you would want. Yes. So that's, that's, a, that's a, a word about marriage that I know nothing about. But I think in theory, this will do you great good. Um, so on the flip side, this is... A, a word that we need to really ingrain in our hearts in terms of our relationship with God. In the same way that we would want this kind of zeal, passion, like never-ending sense of wonder and discovery and adventure in somebody else that will be searching us out, this should be our posture before the Lord as well. This, this is a God who, even if we had a thousand lives to live, we would never finish. We would never reach the end of God. That's how much of God there is for us to discover. So for us to be Christians, and, and man, we've, I've been going hard for two years, man. Two years. I feel like I, I've reached it. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm done. 
Um, and then for you to slow down and fizzle out does not make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Even if you were to, from, from here until the day you die. So say, imagine, let's be optimistic. Let's say you have 70 more years to live. That means you're going to make it to 100 if you're 30, like me. Um, 70 more years. To me, it should feel like 70 years isn't enough time to fall more in love with you, Jesus, every day. 70 years is just not enough. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I know that there's so much more. That should be our posture. You know how uh, in, the, in the last two messages, the, the, the message, um, do you love me? I said, you know, whenever God confronts me with that question, do you love me? I'm not asking if you love ministry, if, you know, if you're going to do this, if you're going to do that. But, you know, bottom line, do you still love me? If he asked me that in 30 years, will I still be able to say with full sincerity and confidence, yes, I love you? Will I still be able to do that? In the same way, remember um, for, for our JPM, I'm sorry I'm referring to these past messages. Um, it was a while back. Uh, for the JPM message, remember I was talking about this timeline. And if we are somewhere around he- here, sorry, if you're somewhere around here and you're heading towards this, um, will I still be able to do this short run that I have here with fullness of zeal, with more passion for God every day? So today's message, I'm actually going to be talking about this. So I know that during the JPM message, I kind of touched upon like, there should be passion, there should be purpose, there should be, you know, this should incite you to, to understand and, and get, have perspective on your walk. But then I actually didn't address what that was. I just basically pointed you in a direction. Um, and that's what I feel like we need at this point, at this juncture, um, is, so, so what is that? Like, I'm glad you, you give me passion and understanding and, and, and where I am right now. But so what exactly is it that we're running for? And who is it that we're running for? And this um, message was birthed, I think, a while back just in my heart. And I've been mulling on it for a while. I watched an interview um, of some IHOP leaders, actually. Um, and they, they were talking about their movement. And one of the things that they said was, one of our concerns is that we are raising up a generation that could go on for like three hours about how passionate they are about the Lord. Like, like on fire, willing to give up their lives, willing to go to the unreached places. They could talk about this for three hours, about how passionate they are. But then when you ask them, so who, who is Jesus? Don't tell me your testimony. Don't tell me what he's done for you. Who is Jesus? Who is the Jesus of the Bible? They don't have more to say, you know, than over, over three to five minutes. So very passionate, very zealous, very on fire. But then when you scrutinize the object of their passion, the object of their affection, there's such shallow understanding of it. And this lends itself to very fiery lives for five years. And then it's only a matter of time before it fizzles out. This lends itself to a, a life that is, you know, poured out of missions, poured out of prayer. I'm going all out in my youth. But then when I reach, you know, 40 and I have like three kids to take care of and, and all this stuff, then all of a sudden it's very easy to let go of it because that passion and zeal was not rooted in the object of your affection. So it's not rooted in a person. It's like a feeling. It's a feeling. And you're dealing with this. So when you're dealing with, you know, um, when you're dealing with dryness, when you're dealing with, 
Pastor, I'm going through, you know, uh, like a wilderness period right now. I'm dealing with apathy, numbness, like I'm trying to get into the word. I'm trying to get passionate about what's going on in the house, but I can't seem to break out of this funk. A lot of times it's a matter of the heart. It is. If there are different things that are keeping you from opening up to the Lord, from receiving and pursuing hard after the Lord, that's something that you need to deal with. But on the flip side, sometimes once you've dealt with this and you've asked God to remove any hindrances here, And that's done. And you still feel like I'm still not on fire for the Lord. It's not that the problem is you have to look at yourself and be like, fire, fire, passion. Come on. Ready to go. We can do this. You know, it's not that. It is I'm forgetting that this passion is for something else. I should be fixing my eyes on something else. The more I fix my eyes on that object of affection, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. We are wired. Our mechanisms are wired to react to the glory of God. That's the way that we are made. That's the way our our emotions function. That's the way our sensory organs work. We are made to behold the beauty of the Lord. We're made to start to understand and grasp the, the, the unending glories that the Lord has to show us on this side of the cross. With our limited bodies on this side of the cross, there's all that that's available for us. So I'm going to be addressing that tonight. So it's going to be, in some ways, very inapplicable, inapplicable, non-applicable, one of those three. Um, But in some ways, it's going to be the most practical, most pragmatic, most effective messages that could really spur you on if that's where you are at right now, if you're at a place where, man, I just need another retreat, man, I just need somebody else to lay hands on me to, to kind of break this off and just for me to move forward, or I need this financial, um, you know, breakthrough. I need something to move me out of, out of this place of stagnancy. If that's where you are, maybe tonight, this is for you. This is what you need. So without further ado, we're going to go into a passage. It's in a book that starts with the words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation. I actually do need everybody to open up your Bibles because we're going to, the, the main event is not going to be up here. It's going to be in what you're holding in your hands right now. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So we are opening up to the book of Revelation. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The of could mean two things. could be pertaining to Jesus Christ. So this entire book, right after the sentence, reveals Jesus Christ to you. That's one way to interpret it. The other way to interpret it is the revelation of, like coming from, coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ. So those are the two ways to interpret that. And both ways are valid, I would say. Um, It is of Jesus Christ coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ. If you look at the first few chapters, it's all red letters because it's coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Um, So I'm just going to read the prologue with you guys. I'm reading from the ESV. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the only book who has that promise. Like, there's no other book. Book of Romans, book of Hebrews, book of Isaiah. There's no other book that explicitly says, you read this, you will be blessed. That's our promise. There's no other book. So this is the only book that does that. And so all the more reason for us to actually explore this kind of sometimes intimidating, unapproachable, like uh, I'll keep you within arm's length because I can't deal with these creatures with eyes and wings and looking like an ox and, and all that stuff. Uh, we tend to keep this at an arm's length. Um, but this is more than enough reason for us to, you know what? You know what? If I've never read this book before, I'm going to sit down this week with this book and just read it from here to the end. It, it actually takes you like maybe two hours at most to read all of the book of Revelation, all 22 chapters. Um, so it's not very, it's not very long. But that should be enough of an incentive to begin to get a little bit more curious about this book. Okay, so now we're going to jump to Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. This is the infamous church, right? The church in Laodicea. And I'm going to read it for you guys. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And this is what he says. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So this is a pretty heavy passage out of all the seven churches that um, Jesus writes to. Um, the only one who gets out unscathed is the church in Philadelphia. Thank goodness. Uh, but the church in Laodicea, we could be very, we could be very hard on them because it sounds like it's a, whatever it is that they did, Jesus thinks it's a big deal. Like they screwed up in some way or another because he's, he's pretty harsh. Uh, but all it boils down to is they're a lukewarm church. It doesn't sound so bad when you say it that way, you know, lukewarm, 
eh, we all go through lukewarm periods. Ah, I just don't feel right now, but I think it'll come back, you know, hopefully. Um, and when you think about lukewarmness, it doesn't feel like it's such a big crime. Like, what's the big deal? Like, you hey, chill out a little bit, you know? Chill out. Like, people can have, they don't, they don't need to be passionate all the time. They don't need to be, um, you know, on fire all the time. Like, there's so many churches that are like that, you know, you just need to give them time and maybe they'll, they'll get out of this funk. All it is is lukewarmness. But to the Lord, this is unthinkable for a church. And here's the reason why. Look right beneath this passage. What happens right after? We begin chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. The entire chapter is this picture of God and his throne. And nothing about it deserves lukewarm worship. Nothing about it. Nothing about it. You see the contrast between, you know, chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. It doesn't feel like it's such a big deal until you reach chapter 4. When you're like... That is unthinkable. This is a God who commands the praises of angels and saints 24-7 around the throne. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never get sick of it. This is a God who demands that kind of passionate praise. Now you begin to see lukewarmness in a different kind of light. It's not such a small deal anymore. Because if you were to look at just like lukewarmness here... It's not a big deal. But if you look at, look at lukewarmness here in the context of the object of your affection being a God who deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, then yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense whatsoever. So that's in the context of the object of your affection. Let's look back at, at, at chapter 3, verses 14. Uh, through 21, uh, 22. So this is a church that in some way they've been deceived into thinking that they're doing okay. Like, Hey, we're still growing. Hey, we're still doing okay. I mean, we're, we, we've seen better times, but you know, it's, it's not that bad. We're still doing pretty well. If we were to apply this to any church, for example, our church, if we ever got to the point of being, you know, our church is still growing. We are working on our building fund. We're sending out a lot of missionaries. Um, we have a thriving college ministry. Um, and somewhere along the way, we lose sight of this God who is sitting on the throne, who's burning with glory. Um, but we feel like, hey, we're still doing okay. Like, church is still up and running. Numbers are still coming in. Ties are still coming in. We're, it's not that big of a deal. We're still doing relatively better than maybe other churches that we know of or we've heard of. If we ever get to that point, the words of the Lord are, you have no idea how far you've come. You have no idea how far you are from the kind of church that I made you to be in response to my glory. So it's a, it's a pretty heavy indictment. And if we were to think about it in a personal way, not in a corporate way, um, if we were to apply this word to anyone who is... If you're feeling like, oh, I've just hit a rough patch. Like, I don't know how to get out of this. I've had people pray for me. I've had, um, you know, I'm listening to worship a lot more. I'm listening to a lot of teachings, but I can't seem to get out of this lukewarm uh, funk. Um, God is saying, it's not okay. 
it's not okay that you're still there. If you're there and you've been fighting for a while and you're getting ready to give up, that's not okay. You should be still kicking and screaming all the way, you know, for wholeheartedness, for passion, for a response that is worthy of the God in Revelation 4. But here's the thing. You don't know what to do about it. You're like, I know. The conviction is there. You you can stop hammering on that because I know. I know something's wrong. I know that I need to fix something in my life. uh, But I just don't know how to do it. I can't just fall in love with God. I can't. I can't make myself. Uh, And so the answer to this is actually in this letter as well. And that is in verse 19. It says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And this is the application. This is what we need to do. So be zealous. That's one. Two, and repent. Twofold response. Twofold response to anybody who's going through this. Be zealous and repent. The repentance part, I feel like somewhat we understand. It's, you know, Lord, search my heart. If there's any hardness of heart, if there's any bitterness, offense, unforgiveness, disillusionment, any anger, anything that I'm holding against you, anything that I'm holding my praise hostage to. And until you give me this, I don't know if I can give you all the worship that you deserve. If there's any part in me that is like that, Lord, I repent, I bring it before you, and I lay it down. That's a little bit more approachable and understandable. But the other part, this is the part that we're going to deal with tonight, is the be zealous. Be zealous. What do you do with that? Like, what? Wh- how do you be zealous? You know, how, 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 it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to be zealous. I'm trying to get fired up. Not all of us are, you know, choleric or, you know, like whatever. Not all of us are are like that. Some of us just like, you know, to hang back a little bit, be more contemplative, but how, what, what do you mean be zealous and how am I supposed to stir that up? And is it supposed to come ex nihilo? Like, am I supposed, is it in here and I just need to fan the flames or like, what doesn't, what needs to happen? All those things could apply. But the be zealous part, the application part is there is one sure, surefire way to deal with that. And that is by going on to Revelation 4, fixing your eyes on the one thing that will ignite your zeal, ignite your passion. And that is the vision of God, the vision of who God is and his fullness, not partial not just the parts that I like, not the parts that I'm used to, but the fullness of God and going after that with zeal. And you will see it as you're pursuing this, that zeal, passion, fire, your willingness to sacrifice, your willingness to go all out, all those things will come naturally as a byproduct of you just simply fixing your eyes on who God is. Now, this is what... Uh, Jesus says to this church, and in verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is a verse that many times people apply to unsaved people. When you are explaining the gospel and, and you're bringing it home and you get to the point where, okay, now I'm going to ask them to pray this prayer or if they're ready. And then you say something along the lines of, the Lord is knocking at, at the doors of your heart. Will you let him in? And that is a valid application of that word. 
That is a valid explanation, uh, a valid uh, application of it. But even more accurately, we need to understand that this is a word for believers. This is written to the church, people who are saved, people who are saved and they've been running hard, but they've lost steam along the way. So this is for, not for somebody out there that we should, we should be reaching to on our way out from Friday fire, but this is applicable to us. This is for the believers. And this is the hope as well. If you feel like, man, <laughs> there's no way out of this apathy. The word of the Lord for you tonight is behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. I'm already here. Are you going to open up the door? It's very, a lot easier and a lot more attainable in that way than like, man, I'm going to have to fast for all these days and I'm going to have to, you know, have a prayer chain and like do all these things and maybe I'll get my zeal back. It's a lot easier than that. And it is, he's already knocking at your door. He's already seeking you. He's already coming after you. All you need to do is open up that door and let him in. And it says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. What in the world does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like you're, you're here and you're dealing with, you know, heart issues and, you know, dealing with, you know, apathy and numbness and stagnancy. And then he's talking about like this throne thing. And you're like, I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to say. I know that it's, it's, it's good, but I don't think that's going to help my situation right now. That is if you stop there. But if you read on to chapter four, then you understand why he's talking about a throne room. In the first place, he's giving you a vision for something that you will desire so much that you're going to be willing to let go of apathy, hurt, bitterness. It's going to give you the passion to go through whatever you need to go through in order to understand this fullness of God, of God in the throne room of heaven. So this is, these two passages are related. Sometimes we take like, these are the letters, the seven churches, and now this is the vision that. Apostle John had, and they're completely unrelated, but they have everything to do with each other. You know, at the very end of of this letter to Laodicea, it's saying there is a door and you just need to open. And then you move on to chapter four and it says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. So it's no longer this door in me that I'm letting God into. He's saying, you know what? This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know what? You have no idea what that's talking about. So I'm going to open this door for you. And I'm going to let you take a peek at what it is that you're missing at what it is that you want to aim for. And he is the one to open up a door for us. He's the one to fling open this door for us. So it says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Do you understand what a big deal this is? Wait, wait. Okay. We're not going to read this passage like in the same way that, that you normally read the passage. You just gloss through and you're like, okay, okay, okay. Let's get to the, the creatures with the eyes and the, the wings and all that. But you understand that God himself opened up a personal invitation for you to see that which cannot be seen. That which is too holy for you to approach. He was the one to open up a door and personally invite you in. He says, come up here 
And I will show you what, what must take place after this. It's a personal invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the radical part. It's not just for this guy. By the way, he wasn't dead. He's like 80 years old. Apostle uh, John, John the Beloved. He's like, they theorize, you know, they meaning theologians in general and people in general. They theorize that he's about 80 years old or 90 years old. He's in exile in the island of Patmos, and this is how he's ending his life. And he's on the Lord's Day because the, um, the, the passage says so in the very beginning of this letter. So he's there on a Sunday. He's seeking the Lord, and all of a sudden, God opens up this door. <laughs> Man, if at 80 years old, after I've gone through persecution, exile, whatever... If I can find myself on my knees, expectant, waiting for a vision from God at the, year, at, at the age of 80, burning to see a glimpse of God. Oh, man, what kind, of, what kind of life did he lead? What kind of everyday decisions did he make in the, in the prayer closet? What kind of commitments did he make in his heart decades ago that led him to that place as he's 80 years old, on that Sunday, seeking the face of the Lord. Like, that's how I want to live. You know, that's where I want to be when I'm 80 years old. I want to see this. I want to be like, all right, God, you talked about your throne room. Can you show me? You know, I want to be there. And I want to be seeking and waiting for that. I feel like that's an invitation that God doesn't just offer to the casual observer. The casual person was like, all right, this book is pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't understand it, but at least I read it. Now I read the Bible from cover to cover. Let's move on to stuff that I can understand a little better. Uh, this, is, this is not, you know, in doctrine, but this is what I feel. What I feel is this kind of invitation comes for people who've been persisting, who've been tenacious in their hunger and seeking for the Lord, whether they've gotten a breakthrough or not. What if Apostle John was, you know, imagine he was like 30 when, when Jesus ascended. And from the age of 30 all the way to 80, he's just been contending. He's just been waiting for that open door. He's been saying, Lord, I know you said there was more. I know that you said you'd show me your glory. I know that you said all these things. I still haven't seen it. But he's been contending for 50 years. Would you have that kind of zeal? That kind of determination. Man, I'm getting really old. I'm 80. Maybe I just have to wait till I see him on the other side of eternity. What if that was that? I feel like that's more like what I would do. I'd be like, if I'm 30 and I'm, and I'm contending for something at the age of 32, I'd be like, okay, I think that's enough. Uh, <laughs> I don't think God wants to show me. Uh, so we'll just cruise on until... I'm 90 and I go meet the Lord and then we'll have a talk, you know, uh, that's more like what I would do. But this guy, he's after this vision of God and that's kept him in a place of seeking and asking and hungering until he's 80. Now look at verse two. This is also pretty crazy. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Even before we talk about the throne, do you guys, those, those few words, at once I was in the spirit and behold. So for him, that transition was like, oh, 
I'm in the throne room, you know? Like, they, they didn't even explain it. Like, what do you mean, man? Like, you got to tell me so I can do it, you know? Tell me. What do you mean at once? What does that mean? I want that. You know, like, did you take a side route? Like, did you see the ladder? Like, like, what was it? But this is my feeling again. This is a person that's cultivated throughout his life a hunger and a passion for the Lord. And he's able to, he's trained his mind, his heart, and his spirit to seek after the Lord, to see him, to hear him. And for someone like that, oh, I was in the Lord. I, I, I was in the spirit. And all of a sudden I saw this throne room and then he moves on. That is something that I want to, I know that it's not like you have to earn your ticket into the throne room thing. Like it's not after your merit, but I feel like, and I don't think this is legalistic. I feel like if you've cultivated a life of seeking after the Lord, of keeping your eyes pure so that your eyes can behold the glory of the Lord. If you've consecrated yourself to behold his beauty and become transformed by it every day, I feel like this jump is not very big. And that's the kind of life that we want to leave, uh, leave, live as believers, a life that has cultivated that ability to see the Lord. And it becomes easier and easier. And God reveals it to himself to you clearer and clearer. And then it moves on. And this part is going to be a little bit long. And then he moves on to what he actually saw. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the throne were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Amen. This is anything but lukewarm. So this opens up to the scene and I don't want you to get caught up just in the language of like, well, technically I don't know what Jasper looks like or like carnelian and what does a rainbow and a sea of glass look like? Don't get caught up in that. Just imagine 
God's glory in its raw form, completely unveiled before your eyes. There's a throne in heaven and from him are coming peals of thunder and lightning, waves of glory that ripple through this throne room. And it is anything but, oh, I'm just a third hand, you know, uh, experienced person and I'm just looking and observing. This is something that will impact you. The way that I've heard somebody describing this scene, I think it was Alan Hood. He said, can you imagine the most powerful encounter you've had with the Lord? The most powerful encounter you've had with our Lord, where you felt like your legs can hold you up, where you felt like your heart was about to explode, where you felt that the sensory overload would just kill you in that instant. Can you imagine that times infinity you standing in front of the raw glory of God and you see this, this one who is worthy, who was and is and is to come in the middle of it all. And from him are coming ripples and waves of glory and it hits you in the chest and you go down because you cannot handle it. That's the kind of scene that we look at here. This is the unveiled glory of the Lord that we get a peek, a peek, a glimpse of just for a moment. This is the kind of scene that we're looking at. So it's not like, oh, this is really cool. And I think the colors will be pretty cool when we get there. This is something that will undo you for the rest of your life. If you get just a glimpse of this. Now do you understand how lukewarmness has nothing to do with the worship of this kind of God? Nothing to do with it. This is why beholding The face of the Lord is so important for the longevity of your passion, of your zeal, of your drive, of your faith. This is why God didn't make it unknown. I think it would be different if God never unveiled himself in this way. I think then it would be reasonable. Look, God, you just gave me this to work with and I'm mustering up my passion as much as I can. But, you know, I, I wish you had shown me more, more to go after. But we have no excuse because this is the kind of God that we see right here. We just haven't really taken the time to go into this and fix our eyes on this kind of God. Now, the reason, the biggest reason why I'm preaching on this passage, other than the fact that I feel like our passion oftentimes is completely disconnected with the object of our affection. And that's why there's a big discrepancy in the passion that we should feel for him and the passion that we actually feel for him. It's a lot of, a lot of it has to do with that discrepancy, that lack of connection between your passion and then the object of that passion. But it's also because it's a passage that we're going through at K1 on Wednesday mornings. And this is a very, uh, I'm, I'm talking about Revelation 4. This is a very challenging passage. And as we were coming up with different passages to, uh, to go on for, for two hours every week for a month, I felt God challenging me to camp out at this passage. And my instinct, and this is me being very vulnerable, was like, is there going to be enough material for us to sing through for two hours? I was like, I feel like we're going to sing prophetically for five minutes, and then, I don't know, like, what do we do for the rest of the time? You know, I felt like, ah, is there enough for us to grab a hold of? and sing through and dive into. Um, and this is because I had no idea about what this passage meant. And God was challenging me and he was saying, if what is contained in this passage is enough to inspire the never ending worship 
of these creatures and these elders around the throne 24-7, forever and forever, day and night. They're lifting up my glory with every glimpse that they get of me, with every single one of their eyes that are covering their bodies outside and within. With every glimpse that they get, they have a new, fresh revelation of who I am. And that launches them into 20 more years of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If that's the kind of God that is described here, do you not think that you'll have something to sing for? sing through for two hours. That's what God was telling me. And I was like, okay, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is the kind of challenge that I felt the Lord putting on my heart. And it was, will you, even if at first glance, if you don't get much out of this, will you stay there? Will you keep your eyes fixed on me until I reveal something about myself? Will you keep digging until you hit something? Will you not be distracted from this challenging passage? Will you not be intimidated and discouraged by this description of who I am because you feel like it's not applicable or it's not pragmatic or like, I don't know. If you feel like, This doesn't have enough substance for you to go on for two hours. What kind of God do you think I am? What kind of worship do you think I deserve? How big is your God in your eyes? What's the magnitude of the God that you're worshiping? That's what I felt like God was challenging me with this past month. And so every Wednesday morning, now it's been two weeks And I have to tell you, it's been hard because passages like these, I feel like you just have to work through and just not give up. And sometimes one week, it won't yield very much. You feel like we've gone somewhere, but I feel like there's just more. And then the next week you start kidding like this, this mine of things. And you're like, okay, things are flowing. I think we're getting to something. And the week after that, you feel like there's more and this more. And this is the kind of passage that will yield its fruit for years and decades to come, if not for all eternity. That's the kind of passage that this is. And this is one of the choruses that came out of this past week's Wednesday K1. This is as we were singing through this. And we were, you know, weeks like these, seriously, when, when I know I have a challenging passage ahead, I think I begin the watch by saying, Lord, if you, if you don't come this morning, we're screwed. Like, it's going to be terrible two hours. It's going to be a waste of everybody's time. Like, if you don't come, if you don't show up, if you don't reveal yourself, it's going to be really hard. So that's how I start some Wednesday mornings when, man, but God in his faithfulness, he comes and he begins to unveil himself before eyes that are finite, before eyes that should not, if it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ, that should never Behold, anything that is holy, holy, holy. He chooses to come and begins to unveil himself and show and share the riches of his glory with people who are just, all we do is, God, we're not moving from here for two hours. That's my promise. Like, I can't promise there's going to be breakthrough or whatever. I'm just saying, Lord, you have my full attention for two hours. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to dig deep. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm not going to look to the right or to the left. This is where you'll have me for two hours. Now show yourself. That is 
that is how this past week and the, the week before that was. And during this time, this is a chorus that came up, a prophetic chorus that came up through K1. And it was something along the lines of, I am now seeing as in a mirror, as in a glass. I'm only seeing in part. And one day I will see fully face to face. But I know that there's more for me to see today. I know there's more for me to see today. This was the kind of course that was birthed in this place of seeking after him. I think this is beautiful. I came up with it, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding, 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 kidding. This is obviously the Holy Spirit. Um, obviously. Something in me was birthed in that place where I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do with these passages. I'm just going to fix my eyes on them, and I'm going to trust that this is living word, that this is going to transform my life, that it's going to cleanse me from within. This is the washing of your word. This is going to do something to my vision, but the way that I see you, God, this is going to do something to my worship. And just by simply being in that kind of place, what God birthed in me was a hunger and a desire, this kind of resilient, like, ah, drive. Like, there must be more. There must be more. This is not all that there is. The more we dig... I know that there must be more. And tomorrow, there must be more. And the day after that, there must be more. This is the kind of God that we worship. He's inexhaustible. He's not afraid to be searched out and found out because there's so much more of him for you to find. He's an like unending ocean, and we're just dipping our toes, barely, into his glory. There's so much more for us to explore. There's so much more of us to be wrecked by in this kind of God. That was God, what, what God was saying. Now, if you're taking notes, I know that you probably weren't because these things are not note-taking worthy uh, or or notable because it's not linear. Um, I want you to write three things. And this is something solid that you want to begin to apply into your spiritual walk. I'm just going to lay these out for you. Three marks of a good lover. Three marks of a good lover. This is not from a book. This is something that I feel God just highlighting. Three marks of a good lover. Number one, fight to stay in a place of wonder. Fight to stay in a place of wonder. This is something that we need to work actively and aggressively and even violently at. Because apathy, stagnancy, boredom, distraction, these are all things that are constantly coming against us, especially in our generation. So for us to stay in a place of wonder, we have to fight for it. We have to protect the intimacy that we have with the Lord. We have to make time for it. We have to really fight for our ability to stay in a place of wonder. Whenever you feel like the Bible is getting dry, whenever you feel like worship is getting dry, whenever you feel like prayer meetings are getting dry, you have to ask the Lord, Lord, get rid of this apathy in me. Get, get rid of, of this numbness in me. Birth a new wonder and hunger in me supernaturally tonight. That should be your prayer. That should be your, your war cry against apathy. And you have to fight for it. That's number one. Number two, actively make new memories. Actively make new memories. Actively make new memories with the Lord. I feel like the longer that you walk with him, the more that you invite him into your life and you begin to ask God to speak into different things, you start 
like until you walk through a season where there was no hope other than God in pulling you through a situation, you don't really understand what his faithfulness means until that moment. And you're like, when I say that you're faithful, there's gravity to that now. There's weight to that statement. Now it's not just something that I gloss over, you know, whatever book. It's not just, oh, he's faithful. You can say it with full confidence. He is faithful. And there's a story behind that statement for you because you've actively made new memories with the Lord. So it's now no longer a description of who he might be, but he, it's, it's a, like, it's a thesis statement of who God has been in your life. And your life is there to back it up as a living testimony. So that's second, actively make new memories. And lastly, see the truth from a place of love. See the truth from a place of love. I'm emphasizing truth in, in this third point. Because a lot of times we are scared to see something that we don't want to see. And this is because most of our lives we've been exploring and getting to know people who are imperfect, who have faults. And you feel like, ah, oh, I saw a glimpse of this person that I didn't want to see. I think it taints the kind of perception that I had of them. I wish I didn't know this, you know, but God is not imperfect and God is not scared of scrutiny either. Um, so when you actively see the truth about God and who God is from a place of love, you are guaranteed to be put on this progression of greater love. And then that drives you to seek more truth about him. And then that drives you to greater love. And that seeks, that makes you go for more truth. And this is like a never ending cycle, this upward going spiral of truth and worship, truth and worship. This is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. The truth part of it is that it's not like the less I know of God, the more I can say like, Oh, all is good. All is dandy. Uh, the more you see of God and the more you see of God accurately, the more it should fuel your worship of God. That should put a fire into your worship. That should put a fire into your prayer, into your missions, into whatever ministry you're a part of. The more accurately you see of God, the more you learn to love him. Now, I went over time, and this is something that I said I wouldn't do. I'm going to close with one passage. And I want you just to close your eyes. So we've just been, we've just been talking about a God who is glorious beyond anything we could ever imagine. This is a God who is unapproachable light, a God who was and is and is to come, a God who doesn't need our worship because he has worship going all around him 24-7, but he wants our worship. He chooses to ask for our worship. This is this kind of God, a God who is clothed in glory, who has light bursting from within. This is the kind of God. And now I'm going to read for you, for you Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And this is what it says about God. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, 
taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the God that we worship, a God who in all the fullness of his splendor, the fullness of his glory, he left that heavenly throne. He left that 24-7 worship. He left those 24 elders all around him, throwing their crowns at him. He left all this. And he came in human flesh. The light of the world became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could die for us on a cross. So that he would ransom us and pay for our way, pay for our ability, our opening to see God in his glory. Now, wouldn't it be a shame if this blood-bought sacrifice, this blood-bought privilege to glimpse the glory of God, wouldn't it be a shame if this is what God paid for through the death of his son, if this is what he paid for so dearly, not just our salvation, not just our healing and deliverance, but our ability to see God in his full glory, if this is something that God has paid for, wouldn't it be a shame if in our apathy, in our lack of understanding, in our lack of zeal and drive, in our fear of a passage like this, in our fear of getting bored, in our busyness, if this is what we missed out on, on this side of the cross, on this side of eternity, this is what God has made possible for us today. Not someday when we see him, but today. I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to actually place one hand over your eyes. Please close your eyes before you lay hands on your eyes. And place one hand over your heart. Lord, I thank you that you have made a way for us today to see you. It's not a privilege that is won through works. It's not a privilege that is won through our own good deeds. But this is something, Lord God, that you have paid for. So this is something that you have made available to us 
So we pray, God, that tonight you would open up our spiritual eyes, that eyes that have been blind to the glories of the Lord would be opened up in the name of Jesus, eyes that have only beheld the finite, eyes that have only beheld what is human, what is fleshly, what is of this world, eyes would be opened tonight to the glories that are made available to us through you, Lord God, for you. Lord, open up our eyes that we would see you. We know, God, that there's more for us. And we pray, God, that you would awaken in our hearts a supernatural hunger, Lord God, to seek after you, Lord God, not just for 30 minutes, not just for two days, not just for two years, Lord God, but for a lifetime that is not satisfied until we've explored the depths of who you are, God. Lord God, this is what we want. Awaken our hunger, Lord God, for you. Lord God, we speak against any apathy, any hardness of heart in the name of Jesus. We ask God that you would birth a new hunger, a new thirst, Lord God, for you, an obsession, Lord God, to go after the things that you have laid out before us, Lord God, the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Lord God, Lord God, all the things that you have made available for us, Lord God, we pray that this is what you would make available for us, Lord God, tonight, Lord God, hearts becoming alive, eyes starting to see, eyes starting to see, We thank you, God, that this is what we're doing tonight. Lord God, we refuse to stay in a place of blindness. We refuse to stay in a place of apathy. We refuse, Lord God, to go week in and week out, just hoping that this week will be better than the last. Lord God, we want to burn for you. Lord God, give us a vision of who you are. Lord God, fill our minds, fill our eyes, Lord God, with a vision of the glory of the Lord. Lord God, may this be the drive that takes us forward, Lord God, every day. Greater glory. Take us from glory to glory. Take us from glory to glory. We thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.